This is County Fire Insight for Tuesday, July 11, 2023. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Thank you for joining us uh, July 11th for our County Fire Insight. I'd like to start off by thanking a couple of people and recognizing um, some individuals first. Thank you um, to those that participated in Tower 16 to graduate 28 firefighters on the 29th of last month. It was just awesome to see them walking across the stage and to be successful there in the stations now. We couldn't be any prouder of you that went through our very difficult tower. Thank you for joining our organizations. On, I want to I want to recognize Captain Carl Hegel and, and Fire Marshal Mike Horton. They're going to be placed on the different memorial walls, walls excuse me, in Sacramento on October 14th. I'm getting choked up again and Colorado Springs on September 16th. I know our honor guard will be there and our pipes and drums 935 leadership as, as well as county fire leadership. Those members that can make it, it's always tremendous to see support for our fallen. Uh, moving on to something a little more happy maybe is uh, the fire investigators. I wanna thank you for your work over July 4th. I know as we look out our windows at night we see all the fireworks sometimes and um, it's almost an overwhelming problem but to watch you do the bus that you did, especially the big one in San Bernardino, thank you for that. I also wanted to recognize Aaron Opliger. Aaron got up on a fairly large stage in front of Esri this weekend and gave a great presentation on some of the innovation GIS has been able to do to make a difference in our citizens' lives and is supporting first responders, so thank you all. I uh, want to recognize the promotions that we've had over the past month. Starting in June, we had three new battalion chiefs join us. Battalion Chief Tony Siciliano, Justin Burt, Sean Markley, congratulations, gentlemen. You worked really hard for that. In the non-suppression ranks, I want to thank um, Clarissa uh, Hinojosa for joining us, and welcome to your new position as an office assistant. And then in July, we just sent some announcements out today. As a matter of fact, we have Bella Lucas for Fire Investigator One. Bella's joining us from the Sheriff's Department after a storied career over there. Welcome to the good side, away from the dark side. Andrew Carraza as an office assistant too and Elizabeth Morales as a fiscal specialist. Thank you for joining us. I've asked Dale Sandoval to come in and kind of give us an update on our apparatus, talk a little about the supply chain shortages that we've had and what are we getting? I understand we're getting a lot of equipment. Uh, we actually are this year. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. County Fire definitely put their best foot forward on our vehicle replacement budget and a lot of additions. So first of all, the vehicles. When you're talking about vehicles, it's a volatile market. It has been for the last three years, but there is good, good signs of, uh, of an uptick that's coming, which is fantastic. So the biggest problem right now, the biggest hang up is electronic parts. All of our manufacturers, even us, we're having a hard time. We were trying to get an ECM for one of our uh, utilities. It's a little bit of an older utility. We can't get an ECM because Ford's not building the old parts with the semiconductors and all the microchips because they're building all the new ECMs for the new vehicles. So we're running into some little snags. Um, the manufacturers all have extended build times and that's mostly because of the delayed parts that they can't get. That's all electronic parts. But as I said, the good news is we've seen a small up uptick in the availability of these electronic parts. So even though they're hard to get, they're getting them a little bit quicker and quicker. All the manufacturers are learning and gathering all their data and they're figuring out how to get back in the game and get the, the meet the demand, which is good news uh, that we're heading in a good direction. So Ford, 
Ford lead times were about a year and more for cabin chassis. They're getting down. When you get into F-150s and Expeditions, they're up to six to eight, nine months. They were over a year last year for delivery. So that's fantastic news. KME was up to three years. They're now down to two years. So we actually have six Type 1s coming that were delayed a whole year. They're bumped up into November. It was late November. Now it's mid-November. I'm hoping they're going to be into October this year that we're going to go inspect those. So I am definitely optimistic as to what's coming. Um, and I'll go over the vehicle list here in just a second as to what is budgeted this year and what we'll see. Uh, as far as mechanics, you all know we've had a mechanic shortage. We are about eight mechanics down. Um, it's very hard. We've been subletting about 50% of our work. Now that can be good because it allows us to get a lot more done and put more hands on our equipment to get things fixed. But it can also be bad or problematic in the sense of we lose control over what we prioritize. So we actually have a list of applicants that we should be getting from HR within this next week so we can start doing some uh, interviews and hopefully hire more. We were successful in creating a new position in the shop that's a trainee level so we can start bringing in some of the younger generations and growing them into full-fledged fire mechanics, which is always the best bet. Um, so hopefully we're going to get our staffing up real soon and we're going to start being able to put our hands on our apparatus so that we have control over what gets fixed or doesn't fix or how we prioritize our repairs. So that is all fantastic news and all in all, honestly, it's looking good. It's looking bright. It's slow moving, so please continue to have patience, but we are definitely seeing us go the, the other direction than it's been for the last three years. The last three years has been rough, really rough. We're actually heading in a good direction now, so I'm excited about that. So most of you are probably wondering now, this list right here, which is this year's vehicle purchases um, that were approved in the budget. First of all, we have six Type 1s there two fiscal years ago. Those six Type 1s, as I said, we expect in November, hopefully October. Um, and we got a couple of water tenders coming in January. We have three Type 3s that should be coming somewhere around October, November. So we're going to start getting some more of that stuff in. Um, in this year's budget, we do have five Type 1s, which is great news. Um, one for Division 1, one for Division 2, and three for Division 5. We have two water tenders, one's going to Division 4, one's going to Division 5. And of course, we have th four Type 3s this year. It's Division 1, Division 2, Division 3, and Division 5. We have a camp superintendent. Uh, Sal, that, one is, uh, that one's your baby. I know we got canceled. That was two years ago we purchased that. Ford canceled that PO on me about six months ago. So we're reordering that. It is in the budget. We have two squads for Division 5. We have three command vehicles. They're all BC rides. We have some staff cars. We have a handful of utilities, including 14. We're going to get you guys a um, F-350 dually diesel, something you can tow that snowcat with. Um, we also have a couple uh, swap medics. We have coast vehicles coming. We have two for Division Two, one for Division Five. I have a forklift for the warehouse. I know you guys are asking for side loaders. We're going to get into that. We're going we're gonna to dig into that and get you what you guys need. We always want to make sure you get what you need. And then, of course, we actually have five ARVs this year and trailers. One for Division 4, 
and four for Division Five, with 53 being an exception with Dumont Dunes. Um, I received the message, guys, out there at 53. I received your message. You need more power for the dunes, and I fully understand that we're actually going to get you a utility to be able to tow that with, and I'm hoping to get you something a little better for um, the off-road and the Dumont dunes, too, because that's equally important. And that is what I have. Thank you, Dale. Thanks to uh, your mechanics for their hard work. I mean, being eight short, yet keeping our fleet moving forward, being innovative, thank you. Uh, we're looking forward to getting all those vehicles. I look forward to turning things around finally what where are you, I can get some good news out there. What are you going to order me? Uh, an F-150 Lightning Electric so you can no. run out and be stuck on the side of the road. Get oh. out of here. <laughs> Thanks, Dale. I keep telling him to, to order me an F-150 rubber floor mats, steel wheels, but he won't do it. Uh, next, I'm going to bring up management analyst, Diane Mendez. And Diane... You, since you, come on, Hi. you've done just tremendous here in admin. You've been working on a bunch of things and on the side, you're working on a lot of our grants that we've really seen come to fruition over the last couple of years. This year, we wanted to solidify your position. So if you could talk a little about what your new position is and then explain to the organization about some of the grants, give us the dollars. How many millions of dollars are you bringing in? Well, right now, so grants are exciting. Grants are what I do. Um, I'm having a blast. Uh, as management analyst, I'm continuing the work that I've been doing uh, for grants, applying, managing, and you know, keeping those proposals going. So right now, we actually have approximately a little over $18 million worth of grants that have been awarded that we are working through right now. We have a little over $15 million worth of grants that we've applied for that we haven't heard yet. So. Fingers crossed and good work for those who have submitted projects. So I'm going to go down the list of the different um, grants that we've applied for and what we have going. So AFG, Assistance to Firefighters Grant. So that's a yearly one that we've applied for and we've been pretty successful. So right now we are finishing up uh, fiscal year 2020. That was HAZMAT and USAR training. So we're finishing that up right now. Uh, fiscal year 21. Uh, a little over $220,000. So that is the uh, training as well as the EMT to medic program. So that one is pretty cool that we have going on right now. And we've also applied for the next fiscal year of AFG. So we've applied for 1.2 million. And that entails expanding our EMT to paramedic program. And the other thing that we're doing with that is this is a little different. It is applying for a wellness and fitness program. So what that particular program is, it is it comes under NFPA 1582 for firefighter health and wellness. So it's a program that um, provides uh, screening and different types of assessments that we're going to be bringing more information on, you know, if we are, are awarded with that. And so that's really exciting for me. Uh, SAFER, last year we did not, uh, we were not successful and this year we've applied again. So we're waiting to hear on that particular grant. CAL FIRE, we have three CAL FIRE grants that we've been awarded. So one, it's a direct award grant. That's for fuels mitigation. Uh, we have another one for the Wild Plan Urban Interface Pre-Plan. So thank you, Chief Proposa, for moving forward with that project. And then we've also just purchased um, 100 sets of brush coats. That's the Rural Fire Capacity Program. So that's for the paid call and volunteer firefighters. Um, these are for brush coats and, and PPE in the rural areas. 
the next grant that we've received is the California Fire Safety Council, and that one is $175,000 for our county uh, coordinator, who's going to be coordinating um, the different fire safety councils and just different projects that we have, and giving us a deliverable at the end, seeing where we can um, increase projects, programs, and and just do a little bit better on that. Um, as you know, we have our state farm insurance, fifty thousand dollars. We have two of our arson dogs. We have Ginny and Dinty. Um, oh yeah, we have their handlers as well. So Healy and Reese, so you guys know about that. So Working Dogs for Warriors, that's been a project that's been going on. We have Canine Bailey, Baxter, Cooper, Remy, Remy Scout, as well as their very important handlers. So Uwasi, the, the Urban Area Security Initiative. So we were awarded $110,000 for a drone project. So I just spoke to somebody at the City of Riverside today and we can move forward with uh, that project. So I've left some messages with a couple people. So check your voicemail if you uh, if you've been uh, interacting with me on that. So the next one, we have so many going on right now. This next one, it's a really exciting program. I use that word exciting because I love grants. So Rain Grant, this is for an autonomous aircraft demonstration, also known as the Rapid Wildfire Containment System, which is RAID. It's a 16 foot by four foot um, UAS that drops retardant on um, ignition. So that one is something that we've applied for and we've been getting follow-up questions, so that one, you'll be hearing a little bit more on that as well. We have the CDBG, the Community Development Block Grant, uh, $475,000 for the purchase of a Type 3 engine for Joshua Tree. Uh, San Manuel, Banded Mission Indian. So we were awarded $725,000 for the Type 2 fire bulldozer and trailer, and we've also just applied for a little over $100,000 for the BKVHF radios for the Wildland Division. So that one uh, is, is pretty positive on that. Uh, we have the state budget allocation, so Chief uh, Muncie talked about that. The seven million for Rosina Ranch, five million for the Hesperia High Desert Headquarters Project, one million for Wrightwood um, Equipment. And as Chief Muncie stated, we just were notified that uh, we've been awarded 2.5 million for front end loaders as well as Snowcats for the Mountain Division. Uh, the other couple that we have going on is Homeland Security Grant Program. So we've just purchased or placed the order for more of the 800 radios. So we have that going on. And the next fiscal year for Homeland Security Grant, the projects have not been uh, approved yet and we're still waiting for the exact amount of allocation. But the projects that we've submitted are for rebreathers, shoring equipment, and night vision <coughs> binoculars. So that is what we have going on right now. Uh, just a couple reminders. Some of the projects that we've applied for have come from you guys, from proposals that staff members have talked about, emailed, called. Um, Chief Webb, who's no longer here, and I had created a uh, Google form on FireNet. So on FireNet, under forms, there is a form called Grant Project Suggestion Form. It's where staff members can submit projects. Um, ideas for projects, if you know of a grant funding opportunity available. Uh, recently, one of our firefighters, Jesse Sparks, he had been, uh, he proposed a project on solar panels for fire stations. So when he proposed that at the end of last year, um, did a bit of research and had some information so that we had a project shovel ready. Uh, recently, there was a Department of Energy grant opportunity that came out. It is called the Energy Efficiency and Conservation Block Grant. 
So we applied for that. So we're waiting to hear back on the next uh, steps on that because we had a project that was proposed by one of our staff members. So please keep that going. And the last reminder is that all grant applications and awards, they must come through our office. That's really important because applications, acceptance of funds or donations, they may have to be approved by the CAO's office. So we really have to take a look at that. That's what I got. Thank you. A uh, couple of things, Dan. You mentioned uh, the process and we got to go through the process when yes. we apl even apply for a grant. Often we think we can apply and then get the board permission. That's not always the case. Mm -hmm. Almost never the case actually. You need to make sure to coordinate with Diane. You mentioned where the form is. We are looking for great ideas. Even if you don't know a grant that could be associated with, if there's a particular piece of equipment or improvement, solar panels is a great example, please fill out that form. Let Diane know. So as we're asked if we have any suggestions for grants or there's a state appropriations that we're getting you the tools that you need. I think what people don't realize though is that once you submit for the grants, once we actually receive that award, how much work you actually have in reporting back to the entities that gave us the dollars, it truly is more than a full-time job. And you do that, and on the side, you're also the MAC chairwoman of, of Bloomington. Do you want to just take a second and explain what a MAC is? So in our community, um, I live in Bloomington, that's my community. and. In my area, we are not a city, we're unincorporated. So that means that we don't have a mayor, we don't have a city council. So we are under the um, oversight of the 5th District. So Supervisor Joe Baca Jr., he basically is our mayor for our little town. And so the Bloomington Municipal Advisory Council is a, a board that I'm on. So I was appointed by Supervisor Baca before that. I was appointed by Supervisor Josie Gonzalez. So I've been on the, the board for a while and we facilitate conversations for the community. So um, facilitate conversations and give um, suggestions and information to our supervisor's office. Well, thanks for being a good community leader and excellent employee and you. you'd make us better. And you're on incident management teams, but we ran out of time for you. So <laughs> Thank thanks, you. Diane. Uh, I'm gonna ask Martin Cerner to come up Real quick though, you'll see if your computer screen's big enough, Tracy Martinez's cell phone number. If you can't see it, if you're on a phone, it's 909-936-5511. Please text or email any questions you might have to Tracy. That phone number again is 909-936-5511. Recently, Tracy heard that there were some questions that were being asked by the divisions that weren't being addressed. And so I asked her to track those rumors down and she made several calls to individuals. We don't believe there's any questions that have gone unanswered in at least a very long time. But if there's any questions that you've asked in the past and they were ignored, I wanna apologize, that is never our intention. And I would ask you to recircle back to Tracy, 909-936-5511 to make sure that we're addressing your questions and concerns. Chief Cerna, if you could give us a Division Two update and also talk a little bit about the coast. Yeah, Thank absolutely. You. Thank you, Chief. Hello, everybody. Uh, requested to provide a uh, brief overview of what's happening in Division Two. Obviously, there's a lot uh, going on, especially this time of year. Uh, but one of the new programs that we've added here in Division Two is the Coast Team. I think we're all familiar with the mission of the Coast Program. Uh, really, it's a team, a collective team with Department of Behavioral Health. Uh, for us here in the city of San Bernardino, it is a police officer from their department, and then uh, Captain Paul Kramer uh, and um, Cooper. <laughs> Almost forgot his name, getting mixed up with Bailey. 
And they've uh, been uh, up and running since I believe around May and they really truly hit the ground running. The program initially started in the city of Fontana with the partnership with the, uh, the departments that I just mentioned. But here in the city of San Bernardino, the slight difference is the demographic is a little bit different. But to uh, remind you of the uh, program, the COAST program's uh, mission, it really is there for uh, community members that are experiencing uh, behavioral health, mental challenges. Um, just to reiterate, it's not a homeless outreach program, but it really is to assist community members that are suffering from a mental health breakdown. Um, and the team on day one, I believe they responded on nine incidents on that first day and they had some, since then they've had some tremendous impact on community members. Listening to the feedback from our partners in PD, uh, Chief Goodman shared that the city of San Bernardino actually probably needs two or three of these types of teams um, because the need here in the city of San Bernardino is really, uh, really high. So it's been highly successful. Uh, the next iteration or the next piece, uh, we just received approval from the Board of Supervisors to start a regional coast team, uh, coast program that will focus a little bit around the uh, outskirts of the uh, central uh, division here, which would include Highland, Yukaipa, Muskoi, Mintone, um, and that's gonna be uh, our assigned medic will be engineer Steve Story and Bailey, partnered up with a deputy from the Sheriff's Department and a uh, behavioral health specialist from Department of Behavioral Health. So we look forward to uh, launching that program here in the next uh, few weeks. We're still working with, through some logistical issues, but I'm confident we'll be able to uh, provide that high level of service to the communities that I just mentioned. Now in regards to the division here on the uh, Division Two, we're excited to share that uh, the, uh, the kickoff for the bedrooms uh, for 222s starts uh, next week. So I want to thank uh, all our partners, Chief Washington and uh, his staff for making that happen. It's uh, long in coming, but that should uh, kick off here uh, next week. The other more exciting piece is in August, if all goes right, we should have uh, shovels in ground for a new fire station at 226. Uh, that's been long in, uh, it's been on the books for a long time, but uh, it's finally coming to fruition. And then uh, the last update on fire stations is we're still in uh, conversations with uh, fire station 227. Uh, we are working with the uh, San Bernardino School District to see if we can come up with a solution to uh, relocate uh, a new station on one of their campuses. So all in all, hopefully all goes well and we're able to have a, another fire station here in Division 2. I'd like to thank Dale also for, uh, for what he's done. Uh, we got a couple of new uh, apparatus. One of them I believe is going into service today, for engine uh, 221A. It's an exciting uh, piece. I'm gonna share that with our city manager here as well as our mayor and council. Um, obviously we've come a long way since uh, we've taken over the services for the city of San Bernardino. Um, and I've received a lot of positive feedback since I've been here. Um, lastly, I'll touch on the city of Grand Terrace. Um, we purchased the, uh, the fire station, so fire station 2023 now uh, belongs to uh, county fire in the district. That's a huge uh, endeavor and a positive uh, step forward for, the, uh, for us as well as the city of Grand Terrace. And lastly, if I may, I would like to, uh, we're in the middle of transition. I would like to thank uh, Chief Josh Spragues who is uh, leaving the city. I believe he has been assigned to uh, Division 2 for uh, I believe four or five years. Uh, he's decided to move up to uh, Chief Anderson and the uh, high desert. I would like to personally thank him for 
his mentorship and guidance uh, since I've been here with County Fire. I wish him the best of luck. His impact uh, was, is really felt here in the division as well as across the, uh, the county as well, County Fire. On that, I would like to uh, welcome uh, Chief McClintock, who will be here in his, uh, to replace him. Uh, we're excited about what we're going to set place. We have a leadership meeting coming up uh, this Thursday, uh, and we're going to start working towards a community risk reduction plan, Sandra Covers document for uh, the division. So there's my update. Thank you, Chief. I really appreciate the opportunity. Oh, awesome, awesome leadership, Martin, to you and your team. It's uh, the, the battalion chiefs, quality battalion chiefs you have, the captains in your divisions, they continue to impress us. Thank you for your engagement in the community. You recently accepted a, a volunteer position. Yeah, I actually have a couple of volunteer positions. Uh, I'm a member of the Arrowhead uh, Foundation, which is a uh, nonprofit through the credit union that really focuses on homeless uh, outreach and provides solutions to our un unhoused population. I've also had the privilege to uh, join the United Way uh, Arrowhead Board, so I'm on their, uh, their board of directors. Uh, it's a focus on the city of San Bernardino. It's been uh, here in the city for many, many years. I'm looking forward to participating in that. And then on top of that, I've also uh, been uh, a part of the Arrowhead Credit Union Board, which is more of a regional uh, program. So I'm looking forward to being more engaged. It's tremendously important that our leadership's also involved with the community, because you see the large community members uh, there people that represents all segments of our community, and it gives us an opportunity to engage in their problems to help them with solutions. But at the same time, we can share some of our problems. And recently, you were able to receive a vehicle, or, or you're in the process of receiving a vehicle. Yes, so through uh, our partnership with the Arrowhead Credit Union uh, and their uh, continued efforts to help support homeless outreach, uh, they've agreed to donate a vehicle for our coast program here for the uh, for county fire so hopefully in the next uh, couple months we'll be able to put that into service obviously it's an opportunity for us to help the city of san Bernardino as they transition out of bankruptcy um, so it's a tremendous uh, opportunity for us to engage and uh, again impact the community in a positive way thanks chief All i right, appreciate sir. it thank you I'm going to ask Chief Tuttle to come up. We've been hearing a little bit of rumors on what's going on with staffing. I want to address some of those um, really clearly. There has been no discussion on changing our current schedule. Now, that doesn't mean that there may be discussion at some point in the future. But that is not something that we're looking at anytime um, in the near future. So I want to put that to rest. I have asked the team to work on a plan. The vision is that nobody works over 96 hours unless they volunteer to work over 96 hours. And so I challenge the team to figure out how do we do that. So Josh Poland, Chief Tuttle has been meeting with the battalion chiefs. They've carefully crafted uh, a plan for that vision. Chief's going to talk about a little bit of maybe about staffing, but um, on Thursday this week, we're meeting with labor and management. We're going to meet with 935, who we've had some light discussions on what this might look like to solidify that plan. Now, the one thing that we, we asked is that we have a pace plan. That instead of just having a primary plan and watching it fail um, over and over, which is what's happened in the last few years, that we have the primary, alternate, contingency, and emergency plan, pace. So in this plan is built in trigger points that this is what we expect, this is the outcome, but if this outcome is not achieved, what action are we going to take? 
I've asked them to work with labor and document that plan, make it very clear for all membership they, so they understand how aggressively we're moving to staff this fire department. There'll be more information after we meet with labor, after we've had an opportunity to educate our chief officers, we'll make sure that it's widely shared. Generally, I would say that the plan uh, has, those, those that have seen it have been very favorable to it and think that it's gonna be great for the organization and while it could have some impacts, they're gonna be very minimal. I've watched the team take into careful consideration all our employee groups um, on you know, whether you're at the river or if you're in the valley and how is this going to affect you and your, your families. And they're putting a lot of thought process into this. This has taken several weeks to do this, but I feel very comfortable that there's a solid plan moving forward on aggressively staffing this fire department. So again, the goal would be Nobody works over 96 hours unless they volunteer to do so. Obviously, you're gonna have emergency situations that may dictate otherwise, but that is the goal. The second is to really limit the amount of force hires. We need to get to the point where force hires just aren't a thing anymore. Chief, I didn't wanna take your thunder, but I wanted to make sure that it was clear that because there's so much rumors out there and there's concern that we really are looking at the welfare of the department, we're putting a lot of thought as we move forward on this. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're looking at this from a holistic point of view. We want to do the best for everybody. The, the goal we know, as long as we have vacancies, uh, we're going to have some force hires. Uh, like Chief Muncie uh, said, our goal is to get to zero force hires and get to zero, um, not, not making people work more than 96 hours in a row. Uh, so really, while we have these vacancies, the idea is to more equitably um, spread the forces over um, across the board so that not certain groups are getting hit uh, with overtimes or forces more than others. Uh, so Chief Muncie talked about the policy portion of it and we're still developing that plan. Uh, as he mentioned, we're gonna meet with labor on Thursday and uh, fine tune that plan. And then we'll meet with the assistant chiefs, the battalion chiefs, and then we'll get it out to uh, the rest of the department. Once we have a final plan, and um, a document that we can send out and speak to. Uh, but that's just one piece of this whole staffing plan. The other piece of it is to fill those vacancies. And so along with this policy change that's coming is also going to be an even more aggressive hiring and promotion plan. So Chief Poland's been working uh, extensively on putting together a plan. He's met with the uh, training division, the tower cadre, and labor and uh, executive staff here and he's putting together a really good program and a good plan that you all will see when we send that document out uh, and like chief muncie said it's going to have benchmarks it's going to it's going to be a pace plan so it'll have a primary alternate contingency and emergency and we'll have benchmarks that you can clearly see that we can report back to so if we don't hit our numbers this is what we do if we don't if plan a doesn't work this is what plan b looks like so you will all have a, a chance to see that well in advance and see what it looks like in the end of the future. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about is strike teams. I know there's been some talk and some questions about strike teams. I think I talked about it last month on Insight. Uh, we are part of the California mutual aid system and we receive mutual aid and so we need to do our best to contribute to this system. So at this point we're committed to the OES strike team. I mean we have five OES engines in our county that we've committed to OES that we're gonna cover. So those are the probably the number one strike team we'll send out. I did talk to OES and get uh, approval to send three people on that engine. 
So as you know, typically we send four people on OES engines the last few years. They've allowed us to send three, and that's uh, continuing this fire season as well. And then the, the other piece of that is we want to send the EMTs, not the medics, in those firefighter positions. So anything that's a planned need or out of county or significant travel distance, we want to take just a little bit of time uh, and swap out the medics for EMTs on those resources. And uh, I, I would encourage the battalion chiefs and the captains to kind of pre-plan that stuff, especially if you're a captain at a station with an OES engine. Uh, you need to start thinking about what your plan is going to be to swap out where the nearest uh, firefighter EMT is. Uh, then the thing, next thing I want to talk about with uh, strike teams is the MARS, the Mutual Aid Reimbursement System. Uh, for anyone who was on the Winter Storm event, uh, you know that uh, when you checked out or demobed, you didn't do a paper 42 anymore, no more F42s. Everything's now electronic. So. Uh, I'm encouraging all the captains and all the BCs to go into OES, find the Mars link, and set up a Mars account. That way when you're on that strike team and you go to DMOB, you're already in the system, it'll make it a lot cleaner. The Mars system, if you didn't uh, DMOB from the, from the winter storm, it's the exact same information that's on the F-42. So all the same information that you were getting for the F-42, you'll need that for the new Mars system. And that's, that's all I have. Thank you. So we're going to take questions. I understand we have a few questions. Tracy? Uh, yes, the first one's for Dale Sandoval. What is the status on the KME trucks? Oh boy, KME trucks. Well, as you all know, the, the first KME truck came in. It was overweight when it came in. We contacted the manufacturer. There's a whole long story behind them fixing it. We've gone back and forth. I actually six weeks ago visited the factory with uh, our lead mechanic, Gabe Hamoya. We went out and did an inspection on the rig. It wasn't up to our standards. Um, and that's not in a bad way. It just means it's more along the lines that I refuse to send anything to the stations that isn't exactly what we ordered and isn't brand new, even though that rig is a couple of years old now, it's, it still needs to show up as a brand new fire truck, a brand new tiller. So we went out there, we did an inspection. Um, there was some frame rail work that they've done to lighten up the, to get it over, to get it into the weight requirements for the California bridge standard. So there was some scratches on the frame rail, everything. I said, no, no, it's gotta be painted. There was some uh, hoses and stuff that were rubbing. We gave them a large list and we basically said, hey, I want to function in it. It wasn't ready to function. So we technically weren't ready to inspect it. I was a little bothered by that, but basically we're going to go back. They're going to fix the list that we gave them. And then we're going to go back and inspect it again. All the tillers after that, I believe there's two or three more after that, two more after that. Those tillers, I've told them do not start the build process. One of them, the second tiller is almost done. They've already built the trailer. They've already built the aerial. They already have the cab built and painted. They just haven't built the chassis for the tractor. And the, uh, I believe the body compartments for the side of the trailer are all done too. So it's not assembled. It's in different pieces and it's done. So that one will move really quick once we get there. But 
I told them do not start on anything else. Stay where you're at. No movement on any tiller until we're done with the first and until we approve of the fixes that they've made. Because again, I refuse to send anything to the stations that isn't right. So it's frustrating. It's frustrating for you. I, I get it. I, you wouldn't believe the, the, the amount of headaches I've gone through on this, on this truck and the following. But have faith that I am doing everything in my power to get it done quickly, but I can't go too quickly. I can't force them to move too quickly because if we force them to go too quickly, they'll get sloppy and then it won't meet our standards. So please continue to have patience. I don't expect that first one to take too much longer. Like I said, it was six weeks ago I did the inspection. I gave them quite a list of things that I expect them to fix. Then we're gonna go and inspect it again. Then we gotta bring it to the shop. We bought scales specifically for the tillers so that we can weigh them out and load the compartments correctly. Um, so it's gonna take some time to do this first one right. And then everyone after that, it should go quickly. So are there any other apparatus questions? No, sir. Thank you. Oh, you're not gonna get away. Uh, real quick, so I, I ran into a Pierce uh, representative at, a, at an association meeting recently and I asked him, hey, I kind of explained the story, what was going on with KME. And I said, how does this happen? And yeah. that's the question. And what he told me is that sometimes they get new engineers at Pierce and they've had it happen too, that you just, you get, it's, it's very important for an apparatus manufacturer to check the specs. Yes. Is there anything else you'd want to add on on how this happens? Oh yeah, if you guys are curious how it happened, um, honestly it was the perfect storm. It was right at the time when KME was being moved from Pennsylvania to Louisiana. So there was a lot of people that were not going to have a job anymore. So the story that we got was that their engineers that did the, they, they're supposed to do a final weight analysis on it. They didn't do it. Um, they admitted their fault. KME admitted their fault. I've actually had two sit down meetings with the president of Rev Fire over this truck and they've admitted all their faults. They're taking care of all the problems, but this happened because it was an oversight, just like you spoke about with Pierce, but this was more along the lines of just employees kind of feeling down and out because they weren't gonna have a job anymore and they were just like, why do it? So unfortunately, the timing of our truck just fell into the, the worst spot possible and that's how we ended up in a situation. But they are fixing it. They have great engineers on it. I've had a lot of extensive conversations with them and these people are completely awesome and they're treating us top notch. I have full faith that this is gonna come out really, really good. Thanks, Dale, I appreciate sure. your level of engagement and that explanation because I know that when we heard about it, we went. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. All right, uh, Tracy, next question. All right, Chief, what's the future of the AO program looking like? Uh, the AO program, so I think maybe this is conjunction with the EMS RFP. Let me start there. The MSRP, RFP, request for proposal, is in direct relationship to the current areas served by AMR, only AMR. So as you know, AMR submitted a proposal to continue service and so did CONFIRE. With all the agencies that currently have an AMR ambulance, we are all together in a GAPA in that submittal. We've been notified that CONFIRE is going to start negotiating alongside AMR with the County of San Bernardino in order to answer, answer some additional questions and so that the county can make a selection on who's gonna be providing service. But to make this clear, 
that EMS RFP is only for the AMR areas. Our county fire areas, our AO program, is going to continue uh, business as usual. We're going to continue staffing our ambulances aggressively with paramedics. We're going to continue to deploy ambulances with our ambulance uh, operator program. So that's going to be unchanged. However, there is one caveat. As part of the EMS RFP, one of the items that we're negotiating is for the AMR EOAs to have five additional county fire ambulances in that EOA. Those county fire ambulances would only be used for surge and they would only be staffed by ambulance operators. We're not going to put a full-time suppression firefighters on ambulances. We're not going to leave an ambulance uncovered and expect anybody to cross-staff. That's not going to happen. So in those negotiations, we're proposing that we put four of those ambulances here in the valley area and one of those in the north desert area. Again, it would just simply be surge for the AMR areas. However, it would give us the ability to add an ambulance to our second alarm fires or, or rescues. Those, those uh, immediate dangers to life and health, those events where we likely could cause injury to a firefighter, we'll have a county fire ambulance on those calls ready to take care of our, our folks. And if that didn't clearly answer your question, make sure you rephrase it back to Tracy. Okay, this next one is for Chief Tuttle. Does management understand that under the current turn-in system, employees that routinely work a high volume of overtime, thereby assisting with the staffing crisis, are more exposed to the possibility of discipline if they experience a personal or family emergency causing them to turn in multiple MS, FMS days in a row? Yeah, so part of our plan moving forward, this plan that I'm talking about that we're putting together, again, is the priority is to uh, manage calendar so that people don't have to be here more than four days in a row. Uh, so if you're not, you don't want to be here more than four days in a row, then you're not going to get forced beyond four days in a row. For those who volunteer, yeah, you'll still be able to volunteer for more um, to fill those spots. Uh, but really, again, it goes back to um, being able to spread the load across more employees so that not uh, the same people are, keep getting forced hired over and over again. So I hope that answers the question. Anything else, Tracy, for, for me? No other questions, Chief. I'll just, I'll just add in on this end of the discussions. One thing that we've asked for is to narrow down our policy. Our staff, so when we look at our staffing crisis, there's the, the root cause is we don't have enough people or we're staffing too much equipment. And the only way to fix a staffing problem is to hire more people or not staff equipment. Closing stations is, is somewhere we've never wanted to go. And so we need to aggressively hire. And a lot of the changes we're talking about is how do we aggressively hire and onboard new employees into our organization. But we've also asked that that policy that we use, um, that should only be used for in ensuring that we have fair and equitable distribution of overtimes and mandatories, that that policy be reduced down in scope down to one. I, I said one page. I, I'm hopeful that they can get it down to that, but it shouldn't be several pages like it is today. Yeah, so you're exactly. doing a tremendous job, you and, and Chief Poland, and leading through this, and uh, Gary Yeager, uh, Bill Villarino, and everybody else that's been involved. Yeah. I think people are going to be very surprised and pleased with the plan, the staffing plan. I think, uh, I think we've heard a lot of your concerns, a lot of your suggestions, and uh, you'll see what, what we mean by aggressively hiring and, and onboarding, and uh, it's gonna make a big difference, so. Thank you, Chief. No further questions, Chief.
Okay. As always, uh, thank you for joining us. If there's any further questions that come up, maybe you're viewing this and it's not live anymore, please do send Tracy Martinez an email or text her 909-936-5511. As I mentioned, there's some rumors that we sometimes haven't answered all questions. If you've answered a question in the past, we didn't get to it, please circle back to Tracy. And now I have she's a last minute question. Yeah, you're telling me you have one more. Okay, let's get to it. If we are endorsing another ambulance company for AMR service area, wouldn't this affect recruitment, specifically AO paramedics? No. Uh, I mean, sure. Um, if Confire wins, and we are Confire, we're 54% of Confire. If Confire wins the bid, there's going to be a transition period before they take over service. It's not going to be tomorrow. And one of the things they do is they offer jobs to all AMR employees. So um, we want to make sure I've seen some rumors out on social media from the AMR employees that are a little fearful that they may lose their jobs. Confire needs employees, and they're going to be hiring employees. At the same time, Priority Ambulance is, uh, is a pretty large company, and they're willing to shift some of their employees in. And they have some benefits. For instance, they have their own paramedic program. So we're going to continually aggressively developing employees for our ambulances. We're going to have a different system. Confire will deploy ambulances like AMR does today, uh, except for the surge ambulances that I talked about, the five county fire ambulances. They're uh, going to be system status and responding as AMR does today. So we still think it's going to be a draw to work at county fire, to work 24-hour shifts, to be in the fire station. We think it's an added benefit to have these surge ambulances down here in the valley, but that'll be very carefully planned and monitored, and we're going to continually aggressively hire for our ambulance operator program to make sure we're meeting county fire's needs. No further, no further questions. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Have a great week. This has been County Fire Insight for Tuesday, July 11, 2023.